God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible. God's great love affair with humanity. Good morning, Cornerstone, or wherever this video finds you. Maybe it finds you in the evening, but we're in chapter 31 of the story. We've come to the end of this journey, of this long journey we've been on for the past 33 weeks when we began this uh, long story project, and we've chronologically surveyed the upper story of God, and in doing so, we found our own story in God's story more than once. In this span of time, we've seen people uh, be baptized. We've seen people rededicate their lives. I've had many people tell me how they've got a better handle on the big story of God. It has been a fruitful journey. And so now we've uh, come to the end of this long project, and we're finishing up with the book of Revelation and its author, John the Apostle. John, he was a guy who started out with Jesus as a teenager. Uh, he uh, began his journey uh, following the Messiah and witnessed many amazing things. Miracles, him preaching uh, to myriads of people, uh, just being rebuked by the Pharisees, and then Jesus uh, dying on a cross. He witnessed so much as a young man. Now he's grown old. Uh, in that span of time, from his uh, youth to his uh, old age now, he's witnessed the birth of the church, the spread of the church uh, throughout the Roman Empire, and now he has been persecuted. Many other Christians have been persecuted. Uh, legend says that John was boiled in a big pot of oil, and he began to swim around, and they realized they couldn't kill him, so they banished him to the island of Patmos. And in his old age, on that island, uh, he wakes up one morning isolated. Maybe I'm speaking to someone right now who's woke up this morning isolated. And you're ready to receive a message from the Lord. Well, John woke up isolated and he's ready to receive a, a, a message from Jesus Christ himself. A message that he is told to write down and, uh, and spread throughout the churches. And that's why we have it today. And so uh, the book of Revelation, the, the apocalypse, which means the uncovering, uh, is, is an uncovering of information. Uh, for John, it was an uncovering of information to, uh, to, to, to come. For us, Revelation is a book that's, that much of it has already taken place and in some ways is taking place over and over again. Uh, and so we have this uncovering of information. We're in a period of time, this very strange period of time, where we're uncovering information almost on a daily basis about this worldwide coronavirus, this worldwide pandemic. And, and so sometimes it's not always pleasant to hear, but we, you have to know it so that you can uh, live your life in a, in a cautious and safe manner, or so that you might live your life in the best manner for your neighbors, or, or whatever it is. You have to have an uncovering of information. And so I feel a burden right now for our country as I watch the news from time to time and see 
see an emphasis on uh, people putting their faith and hope much in medicine and government and not so much Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Some are calling out for prayer, but, but not enough. There's not enough calling for, the, for Christ's help. There's not enough of depending upon the Lord. And so we know government and science and medicine can assist, and I pray that they, they are blessed by God, and I pray that, pray that they can curtail the damage of what's going on around the world right now. And I thank the Lord for our first responders, our nurses, our doctors, uh, for, for our police, for all those who are on the front lines of this, firefighters and all types of ambulance drivers, all types of people that are coming in contact with this deadly virus uh, on a daily basis. I pray for them, and I thank the Lord for them. And I, and, and I know that this, this will one day end but I hope in this meantime, there is a, a drawing of people to Jesus Christ. And so I know God has an amazing plan of restoration coming. Look, something I want, just want to set up this talk today is that oftentimes unbelievers and I struggle to grasp a Christian's extreme optimism and extreme pessimism about the world. So I don't know who's in the audience right now, but... Uh, if you're an unbeliever, you, or you're an atheist maybe, or maybe you're someone who once went to church a long time ago, and, and now you're checking out, you know, what's, 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 what's the church saying about this right now? I want to speak to you right now. I, I want to speak to those that, that have doubts and, and, and look confused sometimes about how Christians have this extreme optimism about the future, but also carry around an extreme pessimism about uh, what's going on in the world today. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But this, uh, to put some context to what we're going through now, during World War I, or right after World War I, uh, leaders in, in academics and technology and business, they began to discard Christianity as a foundation for thinking and the thought was that God had failed the world that that the world uh, uh, it, it had, had depended upon the Lord and the Lord had failed them and this this began in the early 1900s and it continued even now to the present day and so today's leaders in business and academics and education and government will often pay lip service to Christianity or to religion in general but uh, there's, there's not a dependence upon, uh, upon the Lord God. There, it's, it's, it's more of a, a tradition rather than a foundation for living in so many people's minds. And so uh, sometimes the people who object against Christianity, uh, they, they object against uh, that, that Christians think that Jesus can fix everything. Karl Marx once said that Christianity was the opiate uh, uh, for for uh, for Christians and and the opiate of the people he called it and today's atheists and agnostics say things like it doesn't deal with the real concrete problems uh, of the world today and, and so these same people will base their optimism their optimism on science or on government to fix the problems that exist in the world today but can't we see? Right now, listen to me now. Can't we see right now that the world's optimism fails us? That people can think that the perfect government and the perfect medicine will fix everything, but it doesn't. 
there's always something that comes along that turns it upside down. And this worldwide pandemic illustrates that science and medicine can help, but it can't reverse the consequences of this pandemic. It can't reverse the deaths. It can't reverse the, 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 the broken lives that will result from this. And, and as I said in the beginning, I'm so grateful for those who are in medicine and, and those who are on the front lines and, and those who are, or, who are stepping in to report what's going on. But, but know this, that all the death and the suffering cannot be reversed by technology. There has to be a better answer. And I'm saying that Christ and his church is a better answer. Uh, another uh, objection to Christianity that people might have is that Christians are also so negative and so pessimistic. They're always talking about a judgment to come. Now, I just want to apologize for anyone who's walked into a church and the message they heard was hellfire and brimstone. They didn't hear about the grace of Christ. They didn't hear about the truth that Jesus brought. They, they, they just heard about the judgment to come. So if that's all you've endured from the church, I apologize. I wish that wouldn't have happened because that's not what Jesus said only. He talked about a judgment to come, but by and large, Jesus talked about having a relationship with the Father through him. And so uh, Jesus came in grace and truth. So, so when it comes to Christianity, which is it? Is it, is it extremely optimistic or is it extremely pessimistic? Well, the answer is both. Christianity is both, actually. And we're going to see that as we uh, go into the apocalypse, into Revelation. The gospel of Jesus presents the most optimistic and the most pessimistic worldview at the same time. Christians, uh, we, have a, we have a burden for those uh, in the unbelieving world. We want them to come to a faith that, that will help them through a crisis like this one. For those who might be trapped in fear, uh, I hope that uh, messages like this one and the Scripture and other believers come alongside you and help you help, help calm your fear, knowing that Christ is our confidence and our answer. And so, if you know the truth, you'll be set free. The truth will set us free, but first reveals we're captive. All right, so... So before you know you need to be set free, you have to realize you need help to get out of jail, right? You need help to get out of the mess that you're in. The coin of truth has two sides. There's good news and there's bad news. There's the uncovering of the truth, and sometimes that's difficult. Uh, it's not always, the he uh, always easy to hear, but it's the only way you can make a right decision. So no one wants to hear about disturbing information about, about like this virus that presently has no cure, and we're praying that there will be a cure. But, but we, we have a hopeful information as well as the difficult information that we're hearing. And so, um, like, like a battery, there's a positive end and a negative end. And, and, and we need both to move. We need, we, need the, we need the positive information that God has and the negative information that God reveals through this book so that we might move forward in our faith. Uh, Revelation reveals extreme optimism and extreme pessimism about the world that we live in. And at the end of Revelation, John says this. Are you ready? John says this. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is extreme optimism from John, extreme hopefulness from John. And what's he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that there's a new earth and a new heaven and a new body and everything's new. Beautiful art, pain-free work, engaging literature, the best music, perfect knowledge, glorious mountains to climb, beautiful paddles, uh, uh, beautiful rivers to paddle. Uh, um, There's perfect bodies that never wear out. And there's glorious food. No viruses and no fear, no death, a perfect place. So how do we, how do we know this is possible? We know this is possible because Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. The most documented fact in all history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Extreme optimism based on the fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb. Now in this chapter 21, just a few verses later, John says this. Are you ready? Extreme pessimism. He says this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Wow. That is, that is a contrast, is it not? New heavens and new earth to a judgment to come. And, and in these chapters that precede chapter 21, in, in the previous chapters, as you lead up to this time, the book of Revelation describes wars and plagues and con- collapsing economies and, and the failure of Rome. And we certainly saw that happen to Rome. And we see uh, history replay itself in, uh, throughout the centuries. And, and so, so should we be surprised... As such, in, in such of a time that we're experiencing right now, should we be surprised that, the, that there's a worldwide pandemic, that an economy is collapsing, that, that, that nations are, are, are suffering under the burden of great death because of this virus? No, we should not be surprised because Jesus told us that there would be wars and rumors of wars and that there would be all the types of things that... That, 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 that just impoverished people would take place. And these things had to happen because we live in a fallen world and it won't be made right until Jesus returns. So there's this extreme pessimism. Now, I want to jump back to the beginning of the book. I want to jump back to the, to the hope that we see in Jesus Christ. I want you to see what John saw first when he woke up in isolation The first thing he saw, the first voice he heard was Jesus. We read in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And then Jesus says just a few verses later, Do not be afraid. 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So here's the uncovering, if you will. The victorious Jesus. What's, this, what's disclosed to John first in this chapter is the matchless, indescribable, hair-raising, heart-stopping, spine-tingling Lord Jesus Christ in all His glory. No longer is He a child born in a barn. No longer is He the man of sorrows who dies on a criminal's cross. Now He is the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-seeing Lord of Lords, the bright and morning star, are you excited? I wish you were here. I'm so excited right now. Just saying about who Jesus is gives me hope and gives me, uh, gives me courage. So Revelation first reveals a victorious Christ. Do not be afraid. I, I hear it. I, I know there are reasons that... that, that that drum, that drum up fear within us that we might get a virus or, you know, we might die. But if we're in Christ, we have a home to go to. If we're in Christ, we have the hope of miracles to take place with those who are sick. If we're in Christ, uh, we, we can pray for those who are outside of Christ, who are suffering, and we can ask God to intervene on, their be, uh, on, on, on our behalf for them. And so what I'm saying is, like, we can make a choice to live in fear, and be worried about everything. Or we can make a choice to not be afraid. And I'm, I'm going for this first part. To not be afraid, right? You know, the, t- this phrase, do not be afraid, appears 119 times in Scripture. 119 times. And there are other Scriptures that talk about being courageous and, and to not fear about, about the situation that you're in. And so what I'm saying is, we see throughout the Bible, do not be afraid. You live, I live in a broken world. Do not be afraid. And so we overcome our fear by first seeing the victorious Jesus. That's where it begins. That's where the courage begins. That's where the confidence begins. Seeing the victorious Jesus and listening and hearing to his instructions and, uh, and obeying that and following through on that. So next, Jesus tells John to write some letters, actually seven letters, to seven different churches. But we know that seven's a perfect number in Scripture, and so really, this is one letter to all the church, because there are problems that exist in these churches, there are instructions that exist uh, for each one of these churches, but you could find part of each one of these churches in the present day, or each, you could find a uh, problems that exist in these present-day churches, uh, you know, uh, like in any church, like any church might experience some of what we find in each one of these uh, uh, churches uh, in, in Revelation chapters 2 through 3. Each church has problems. So in these seven letters, we, we read that first letter goes to the church at Ephesus. And Jesus says, continue your hard work, but remember Good deeds cannot replace a relationship with Jesus Christ. To the church at Smyrna, Jesus says, Fear nothing. Uh, fear nothing that the enemy can bring against you. There will be suffering for Christ's sake, some of which you are enduring now. But all of this is temporal. It will one day end. To the church at Pergamum, he says, uh, Compromise nothing. 
Test everything you hear against Scripture, against the purity of, of the Bible. There will never be a shortage, he says to this church, there will never be a shortage of idols to seduce you away from me. There will never be a, a, a lack of an idol of sex, an idol of greed, an idol of power, an idol of busyness to pull you away from me. But don't follow those idols. Follow me. Test everything in Scripture. To the church at Thyatira, he says, Remember, God searches the mind and the heart of everyone. So no matter what you do or where you do it, nothing is hidden from him. Above all, he says, do not compartmentalize your life. Your life in Christ cannot be separated from your family life. It cannot be separated from your work life. Who you are in Christ goes everywhere you go. To the church at Sardis, he says, it's not about appearances. Sardis, it's not about how you look or how things look. He says, you need to be watchful, so strengthen your faith. If you remain faithful and confess Jesus before men, he says, that he will confess you before the Father and the angels. To the church at Philadelphia, he says, some of you have been through the ringer. You've been through difficulties unimaginable already. Your strength has been sapped. But do not deny him. You will be conquerors because you have persevered. You will be exalted. And everyone will know Jesus has chosen you because you have remained faithful. To the church at Laodicea, he says, don't be lukewarm. Be zealous for the Lord. Jesus will discipline those whom he loves. That's how we know Jesus loves us is because he's guiding us back. He's calling us back to faithfulness. He's calling us back to a zealous faith following him. So don't let the world uh, give you, uh, give you a, a fool's hope to believe in, but believe in the eternal Jesus Christ. Our world is putting their hope in the, in a, the economy or in government, but our hope is in Christ. We might lose our jobs. We might, our 401k might disappear. It might go away. I mean, there's, there's been an upside down effect happening all over America because of this in just a brief amount of time. Two months ago, you would have never thought this would have happened, but it's happened. Do not be afraid. Put your hope in Christ. Christ's church is the hope for humanity. Seven churches receive a letter to remain resilient in difficult times. To remain resilient when the world's falling apart. We're to not be afraid, to be faithful. Do you know who does not receive any letters? The UN, the RNC, and the DNC do not get a letter. The academics don't get a letter. The universities, they don't get a letter. No particular family gets a letter. No particular uh, nationality or particular race gets a letter. Only the church gets a letter. Do you see? Christ's plan to redeem and give hope to mankind is in the church. It's plan A. It's plan B. It's plan C. It's only the church. The church is the hope for humanity. Christ's church is what... What is, is what it gives people an opportunity to move from a desperate situation 
to a hopeful situation. And isn't it true that we have to come often into that pessimistic time, that time where we're at the end of our own strategies to figure out how to do life, that we actually turn to Christ and find that optimistic hope in Him, the extreme pessimism and the extreme optimism found in Scripture. It's so relevant to where we're at today. And so only the church is, is the hope for the world. We are, we are, you are. If you're a Christian, you're a living letter to people, to organizations who are in desperate situations. And so as things worsen, and I think they will, I hope they don't, but as things worsen, I think they will, I hope and pray that the church will be welcomed into more places to do more things, to offer more hope for people in desperate Desperate positions. This past Monday, there was a very interesting thing that happened on NBC television. Uh, and it just, I read about it. I didn't see it. I went back and watched it. And I just want you to watch uh, this little clip. Uh, it's uh, Kevin or Craig Melvin and uh, Pastor uh, T.D. Jakes. And uh, I just want you to watch this. Bishop, um, 30 seconds for, for folks who weren't able to, to get to church uh, yesterday. I've never actually done this on the air. Uh, can you lead us in, in prayer for, for 30 seconds? Yes, I can. If our, our Father and our God, we bow our heads to you in humility, understanding that we are not competent in and of ourselves to handle this kind of global calamity. We look to you, Lord, to be the source, the strength, the help, the light that we need. Strengthen our first responders, strengthen even our broadcast people, strengthen all of us whose lives have been de devastated and disrupted, and give us the peace that passes all understanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It's amazing. Amen. Bishop Jake, it's always good to see you, sir. Thank you. It's amazing to see a news broadcaster on the cuff ask this pastor to pray. I, I, I see it. I see fear in a, a lot of the broadcasters that are on television regularly. I see fear in their eyes. And, and I desperately want to present to them the hope of Jesus Christ because that's the ultimate hope. That's what's going to help them get through this storm. And this storm will pass. But I got some bad news. Another storm will come, and it might be greater than this one, if, if you can even imagine that. And so what I'm saying is, is we have to put our hope in Christ. And I think as things get darker, more people will look to the light of Christ. On March, on March 14th, our president uh, designated a national day to pray. On May 7th, is a national day of prayer. And so, man, if there's anything that you should be doing at home on a regular basis, and that is to be praying. To, I, I'm going to send out an email coming this week of a way to, to pray uh, uh, for an hour. And, and, and we need to be a people of prayer, praying often and, and continually. And, and when we do, we see the hope of Christ show up in people's lives. I was so proud of Samaritan's Purse. They put that field hospital up in, uh, in uh, a Grand Central Park in New York City uh, to receive patients. And they have uh, one up in Italy, uh, much like it. And so they're there on the front lines. I mean, you know, Christians are right there. Hospitals started in the church. There wasn't a hospital until there was the church. You can go back and research this through history. Uh, uh, really, churches were places where the sick were brought for prayer and healing. 
And so uh, the, the reason the world has a hospital today is because of the local church. And that's where that began. The reason we have orphanages today is because that's a, that was a, a, an outflow of the local church. And so what I'm saying is that, that we offer hope. You know, after John dies, it's not too many years later, there's the uh, Antonine Plague. It, it took place between 165 A.D. and 180 A.D. Uh, we think it's, it was smallpox, and that's what wiped out millions of people in the Roman Empire. Not long after that, in 251 A.D., another plague came through and killed men, many millions of people. And uh, there was a, a, a very prominent bishop, uh, the Bishop of Dionysus of Corinth, that praised the efforts of Christians because so many Christians stayed behind in their villages and in their cities to care for the sick and the dying. Many of those died, but it left such an impression on the world that that, that part of the world embraced Christ and His church. And that was, a, that was where the church really took off, was in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. I know times are bad, but this is an opportunity for Christ and His church and the light of Jesus to shine. And so um, we know that this is not going to last forever, but we also know that other things are right around the corner and death will visit all of us. I know this is one of those moments where I say, aren't you glad you came even though you're not here? You know, right? So what I'm saying is like, we know that, that difficult times will follow this one. But Christ is victorious. Remember what John saw at the end of Revelation we've read? He saw a new heavens and a new earth. That's, that, was, that was what John saw. So sandwiched is all that difficulty, all those plagues and wars. It starts off with Jesus victorious, and it ends with a new heavens and a new earth. Everything we lose in the first three chapters of the book uh, of the Bible, uh, Genesis, we regain in the last three chapters of Revelation. It's this glorious hope. And so uh, Genesis presents a creation of the heavens and the earth. Revelation presents the new heavens and the new earth. Genesis tells of creation of the sun, moon, and stars. And Revelation tells us that there is no need for the sun because God will be the light where, for his people in the paradise. Revelation presents a paradise regained. Genesis presents a paradise lost. Genesis tells us that Satan was in the garden. Revelation tells us that Satan woo, is banished forever and he will never, ever bring harm or disease or death or temptation to the saints that dwell with the Father forever and ever. Amen. I wish you were here. I'm singing hallelujah right now in my soul, right? And so Revelation reveals a victorious Christ that leads a resilient church for eternal rescue, which removes all reasons for unbelief. Revelation removes the fog of fear so that we might see the rescue ship, which is the church. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that grace and truth are found only in Christ. And that's what we offer the world. Our Christians, uh, as Christians, we know our world is suffering and so we want to help them with the consequences of the fall, which is a virus like this one. We don't have to look anywhere but from the 
where, where this comes from. It, yeah, some say it comes from bats. I'm going to tell you, it starts way before that. It starts in a garden where there's a tempter. His name is Satan. And the choice of two people, Adam and Eve, who choose evil, that's where it started. And that's where the outflow of all this began. All that evil began way back when. And it just cycles throughout humanity in different forms. And the answer is always Jesus Christ. The answer is always the Messiah. And so throughout history, we see one institution survive it all. The church. There's no Roman government. Governments rise and fall. Organizations rise and fall. But the church remains. And the church is the fastest growing religion in the world today, growing in places you never expected, offering hope to people in hopeless situations. Christ's church has survived every war, every plague, every dictator. Christ's church wins. It's the only winning team. It's it. That's all there is. There's no way under the Father but through Jesus Christ. And there's no ark of salvation except His church. And so we are a resilient church. And just like John woke up in isolation to behold the risen Savior, I hope you wake up today in isolation to behold a risen Christ. That's our hope. And maybe you haven't given your life completely. So I'm going to pray right now. And I want you to just bow your head wherever you're at and pray with me. Father God, I pray for anyone who's watching this message, who knows that they have put their hope and their, their confidence in something other than Christ. I pray, Father, you would lead that person to put their hope in Christ in you. And Father, if there's someone who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I say this is a great time to put your complete trust in Christ. And Father, would you just guide them to have that conversation with me or someone else through an email or a phone call, would you just guide that person to, the, to a believer where they can receive the information they need to have to take their next right step in Jesus? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And maybe, you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're, you've never been baptized into Christ. Let's schedule a baptism. Maybe it'll happen during the pandemic. You'll never forget about it, right? Or maybe it'll happen when we all come back together. But what I'm saying is, if God is leading you to put your trust in Him, and if you're listening to this, He is. If God is leading you to put your confidence in Christ, and if you're watching this, He is. I say do it. Move forward. And you won't have to fear. You won't have to be overwhelmed. And you, can, you and I can be part of the resilient church that's offering an eternal rescue for those who don't believe They'll look at us and see a living letter of hope. Let's follow our, follow our victorious Christ. Man, I hope that this message encourages you. And I hope you live this week with a confidence and a hope that you just got to share with someone. So share it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.